Chris, we've got to stop meeting like this. This is uh, starting to become the Chris and Dave podcast. We really do. I mean, it's, at the moment, it's, uh, well, Dave and Chris's point of view. We've got to uh, have you first as the host, I think. That's always fair. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, I don't do much in this podcast, but I got have a little something for uh, for doing <laughs> the editing afterwards. <laughs> that is That is the hard part. You've got to find out what to cut, you know, make it sound good. Make me oh, the, sound good. That's the important part. The worst thing is listening to my voice all the time. <laughs> I'm used to it now, but when I first started this podcast, wow, just hearing yourself again and again and again and again, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's quite confronting. <laughs> um, but uh, you've just been to India. Like, I have. It's, I have. Uh, I mean, we joke about how many times we have you on the podcast, but you must just be knackered from all the travel at this point. I am a bit tired, uh, to be honest. I've got a, a bit of a whiteboard in my office that tells me where I am, and this month's looking a little, a little emptier, <laughs> which is nice. But I think last month I had lines on the, on the, you know, on the calendar every week as I'm here somewhere else. So I mean, look, the, the uh, status credits are good. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, I, yeah I bet. I bet. The sleep. I'm... I look forward to being on the ground sometimes. It's nice. I feel to like have a bit of a break. I feel like you need to take like a back of the hand approach where you write what city you're in on the back of your hand at any given point in time, just, just to ground yourself, know where you are. That does help. I mean, my phone tells me where I am because I, I honestly can't keep up some weeks. It's a it's a nice problem to have. And I mean, yeah, with, with India, I was there for six days, which sounds like a really long, massive trip. But given what I do for work, writing about airlines and things, I was flying on four of them. So I sort of had <laughs> two actual days on the ground. So even, even there, yeah, not much time for sleep. Yeah. So this was, um, so obviously you went to India. Um, mm. Why India? Why'd you go? Uh, well, there are a couple of things. I mean, Qantas had announced earlier this year that they were going to launch direct flights from Sydney to Bengaluru, and they're also going to start a new airline partnership with Indigo, which is India's largest domestic airline, even though it's sort of the jet star of India. Uh, it's low cost and that sort of thing. But, you you know, you can buy the right ticket and you get bags and meals and all the rest, make it a, a normal flight. But we wanted to be on the inaugural flight, and it was a points plane, which means every seat in business was available to book during points. So even though it took us a few hours to decide that we're going and that sort of thing, there were still seats available, which was not the case recently with the points plane to New York. They went very, very quickly. Uh, but I mean, and then you can't go to India really without seeing the Taj Mahal. And I feel like it's it's pretty mandatory. That is that is the mandatory requirement. Yeah, you you know. So I was able to fly in on Qantas. I was able to fly on Indigo, which was that new airline. And then I was able to go to the Taj and then also come home on Air India, which is just a different experience as well. I'm always keen to try new airlines and things. So there was a little spot of sightseeing, but there was a lot of lot of flying and a lot of airports, which is, is kind of interesting to someone like me. <laughs> well, it sounds like there was a hell of a lot of planning that went to the trip as well. Yeah, it took, uh, I think we might have booked this the day of the announcement, I think it was April or May. And since then, I've been looking at visa requirements, you know, vaccination rules, not just COVID, but there's a lot of uh, recommended jabs and things for, for India and other medicines and things you might need there. Just planning how to get around. If you have a read of Smart Traveler, it doesn't make it sound like the friendliest place to visit. It's a bit mm. daunting reading through all the different tips and advice. And I guess for us, you know, as a company planning, you know, assessing the risk and working out how to manage each one. And so there was just a lot of planning and it sort of it actually got to about the week before the trip and I felt like I'd just done absolutely everything and I looked at my itinerary I'm like oh I actually haven't planned my sightseeing I'm about to go there <laughs> I've got my Taj ticket I wasn't gonna miss out on that one I knew I'd get a, a real talking to if I went to India and missed out on buying the Taj ticket but yeah yeah other than that I was like okay what am I doing in Bengaluru what else am I doing in Agra and some of it I mean even in Agra I planned the day before when I was there so <laughs> you know it's uh, it's one of those trips where like Singapore and, and New Zealand are really popular for a reason. You can just jet off and you're 
you'll know it'll be easy. There's not too much hassle. Whereas India just requires a lot of planning. So you really have to want to go to India, but it is really worth it once you're finally there. Well, I think we can really like help listeners out on this particular podcast because we've got all the planning and all the We've tips and advice that, that, that you painstakingly mm. went through to get ready and That's have a it. good time in India. And uh, we, I'm going to take, I'm just going to grab you like a towel, squeeze <laughs> it out of it and we'll get a, we'll get a, a good drink out of it. Let's do it. Um, but like for, before we jump into it, let, let's just run through quickly what you did. So you, mm. you land in, in, in Bengaluru. Yeah, that's right. So I did Brisbane, Sydney, Bengaluru on, on Qantas on their inaugural flight. So then I, I spent two nights in Bengaluru, but I mean, the flight gets in in the evening on, on the first day. Uh, and so the second day you sort of you sleep in a little bit, you, you know, I, I went out and did a bit of sightseeing and um, went to Bangalore Palace. I mean, the city's now Bangalore, but some of the attractions are still under the old, old name. So Bangalore Palace. Uh, the next morning I flew up to Agra on Indigo. And by the time again, you, it's sort of, it's a two hour flight, but it becomes an all day thing. By the time you get there, you, you don't really do much else you settle in you have dinner and then next day finally did my agri sightseeing in Taj Mahal didn't you land in an airport base not, not uh, airport base air, air, force. air force base yeah so agra airport see again no one no one told me this and i'd done all this planning and still hadn't hadn't figured this out agra airport is an indian air force base so uh, you'd think you know you're flying like brisbane to sydney there's civilian airports you know there's just people everywhere you can come and go you can have friends and family come to the airport in Agra, your driver can't even pick you up at the terminal because the military's there, and you have is it to quite get a on. Full on ex- is it quite a full-on experience? It's I yeah I mean it's interesting. You have to get on this transfer bus to get off the base, which mm. is the first thing. And I, of course, you actually have to tip someone to be on the bus, but it's mandatory. So it's uh, and you know it's a bit of a cash grab, but I mean it's like eighty cents or something Aussie. It's not. It's nothing. You've just got to slip someone you know fifty rupees, but. Um, you then get off the bus and then everyone knows where the bus stops. So you're surrounded by people that all know where you've come from. They're like, mm-hmm. oh, good, the tourists are here. Like, oh, you need this taxi. Oh, you need this watch and all this sort of stuff. And so it's a bit daunting to get there. But yeah, and then when you fly out of Agra, again, you have to show your itinerary or your boarding pass or something to get on the bus so that they know you're a passenger and they check that against the passenger manifest while you're standing in the city so that they know you're allowed into the base and then you're not allowed to take photos in the airport and they have the military on the bus watching you so that they know that you're not doing anything. It's I, I landed and I was like, right, this is um, maybe I should have flown into Delhi and got a train or something, but, you know. Which considering that you're, you're, a, you know, you, you're a travel writer and you take mm. pictures of airports and planes for work that... Uh, mm. You know, I feel we got we got to dock your pay a little bit for that one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, I got I got plenty at the airport in Bengaluru and of the the flights to and from Bengaluru. Once you're out of that little little <laughs> military area, I didn't really fancy finding out what an Indian prison was like, so I thought I'd no, behave I, myself. I, I think that's a that's a hard pass for me. Yeah. <laughs> so what was the what was the rest of uh, so Agra like? Uh, so yeah, Agra is, I mean, it felt a bit like Bengaluru feels like a modern sort of vibrant city. It felt a bit like a cross between you know, maybe Hanoi in Vietnam and Bangkok in Thailand and sort of look and feel, whereas Agra just feels a little more rural and remote and still a bit more developing. You know, they're starting to build a, a metro train line within the city that's not up and running yet. You know, all the, the busiest roads in, in, in the city seem to just have one lane. And 
And so it's a bit it's a bit of a chore to get around, to be honest. And yeah, I didn't feel as safe there as I did in other parts of India. So I was really happy to be staying in a decent hotel that had, you know, security in and out, which all the Western hotels do these days, and to have organized a guide and a driver through the hotel. So they at least know what they're doing, they know where we're going, and they can, you know, they can usher me in the right direction. And I mean, fortunately, my guide really knew his stuff. And when we were going through Taj Mahal, he's like, all right, this scam's coming up, this person is going to try and do this. Uh, here's how I would suggest you respond. And it was that was helpful having that information, but you get a bit tired of it after, yeah. after a while. Um, and then, yeah, after after Agra, you know, the, the job was to get home and I it's a bit of an odd way to do it, but I had to fly back to Bangalore and then from Bangalore to Sydney via Delhi on Air India, which if you're not familiar with Indian geography, you sort of go from the bottom of the country, which is Bangalore, back up to the top, which is Delhi, which is near Agra. So you're sort of... It's it's almost like flying Brisbane to Adelaide to get on a flight that ends up being out of the Gold Coast or something. But it was the only way I could get it on points. Air India yeah, was very yeah. specific in the flights that and the routes you could take to book reward seats on that day. So it was that's what I mean. I was at the airport six of the oh sorry four of the six days just because you know that's how it worked out. So if you're that's one of the tips I think we'll get into. If you're planning a trip and you do it a bit more in advance, you might be able to uh, trim some of the travel time. Yeah. Yeah, well, let's actually let, let's get into some of the, t- the tips here because you know mm. I've, I've, got a, I've got a stack of notes from you, which is always useful. Mm. Um, but getting into getting into India in the first place, what's the visa process like? Yeah, so there's a couple of different ways you can do it. So for most of our listeners, they can probably just get away with doing the e-tourist visa for India, which you can just do online. It's a little bit like, for instance, the ESTA for the United States, except it's just a digital version of a of a full visa and you can get that for one visit, multiple visits, and you can have it valid for a month or up to five years, I guess, depends on how much you want to pay. And so for most people, if as long as you do that, I think it's about four days before travel is the cutoff for when you can request it. I'd obviously recommend you put it in as soon as you've got a flight mm. booked or if you can, before you book your flight, just so you know that you're, you're good and clear. Um, and with the e-visa, there are limitations as to which airports and border crossings you could clear, but uh, looking at the list, all the major airports that I've seen that Aussies would fly through are, are fine with that. You can certainly do it in Bengaluru and in Delhi, Mumbai, Chennai, Kolkata, all the you know other other major airports and cities you'd recognise are all fine, really. Um, some people though do need a pre-arranged visa, you know, the traditional sticker in the passport, yeah. send your passport away. And when you work in media and publishing, that is what's required, even if you're on holiday. So, I mean, I needed needed a media visa to go for work because I'm shooting photos and writing stories and things. But even if this were a genuine holiday for me, I would actually still need a media visa for India, which you have to organize through their visa center, which goes to the High Commission of India for review before they can even start. So that's why I've not been to India before, to be honest, because it takes about a month to get the little sticker in your passport, yeah. even if it were a holiday. So, I mean, the, the advantage of this trip is we, were, we had many months to plan and get all the paperwork right uh, and get all of that sorted. So I think most people, the you know, e-tourist visa is, is the way to go. If, and if you have to get a, the actual sticker, just allow a month or so to get all the paperwork done. The, I had to go into their visa center three times and... That was the minimum. I hadn't gotten anything wrong on the papers. That was just the number of visits it, it would have taken at minimum. It would have been four if there was a problem. So yeah, getting the paperwork is not the easiest way to start. And I think that's why other countries just see a lot more Australian tourists. It's just easier to get there, but it, it's not impossible. It's it's mm. not too hard. It's just a bit of a bit of a bother. 
I mean, in all fairness, I'd be in two months giving you a visa to my country. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not allowed to visit you guys in the office very often. I haven't, I haven't been down there, I think, for about six months. I might, you know, we do everything talk about by, coming to yeah, visit. The, but like, we, have mm. a, we have a very strict, like, Teams or Zoom rule with Chris. It's, there's, a, there's a sign <laughs> on the wall. <laughs> um, so getting there. Yeah, there's a few options. How did you get to? Um, how did you get there? Obviously, there was the Qantas flight. Maybe mm. let's dive into some details around the points for for business and and some of your internals. But what are some what are some of the other ways that you can get uh, you can do a trip similar to this as well? Yeah. So as you mentioned, Qantas now flies Sydney Bengaluru, and Qantas also flies Melbourne to Delhi. And so in in Delhi, with their new partnership with Indigo, if you're booking with points, you can include Indigo flights on the same ticket. They just have to be on the QF flight number, which you can book using Qantas points. It's an unusual arrangement. It's not something that normally happens with their partners, but it's just how it works in India. So, I mean, you can fly into Delhi on Qantas as well, but if you have Qantas points and if there's availability, you can do Sri Lankan Airlines too via Colombo, which might sound a bit, you know, flying a bit out of the way, but if you look at it on, on a map, it's actually a very straightforward way of doing it. And if you're flying from Melbourne, you actually need fewer Qantas points to get on a Sri Lankan flight via Colombo to Bengaluru than what you need on Qantas itself. Because if you're getting on Qantas to Bengaluru from Melbourne, you've got to fly to Sydney first, which is backwards on the map and that adds ah, more distance. Yep, yep. And then you fly Sydney, Bengaluru. And so it actually nudges it up into the next band. Whereas if you're flying Sri Lankan Airlines out of Melbourne, you go Melbourne straight to Colombo, Colombo straight to Bengaluru, which is just above Colombo really. And it's only 90,000 Qantas points one way in business class. And so even to compare that, Sydney Colombo is 94,900. Um, so it's it's still pretty good rates for using your points on a partner. And yeah. then if you've got, um, you know, if you've got other points and things, Singapore Airlines flies there as well, but you, you've got to fly through Singapore. It is a bit of a, a backwards way of going. The rates aren't too bad. It's just under 93,000 Chris Flyer miles uh, one way via Singapore. But again, you, you probably want to just get there a lot of you know a lot of people don't want, like, like spending hours and hours in the airport for no reason so if you are just going to get there and you've got Chris Fly Miles your other option is Air India which you can do into Delhi from Sydney and Melbourne and under the new rates that's 110,000 Chris Fly Miles but the taxes are really really low I flew them on the way home and even with a domestic connecting flight within India onto the ticket it was only about $93 in taxes and fees all up so you look at other flights, I mean, Qantas was over 200 in taxes and fees, $93 business class, and it was a 22 and a half hour journey all up, including domestic, including connection times and all that sort of thing. It's so it's, good. it's it's a good way of doing it if you if you don't have Qantas points or if you want a different experience. Mm. Um, tell me about the uh, Super 60 fare. <laughs> so for, <laughs> yeah, for Indigo Airlines, their, their IATA code, which is the two the two-letter uh, code that precedes all the flight numbers is 6E, yeah. which they pronounce as sexy. So they're a bit of a fun sort of airline. You know, it's their super really sexy fare. I really yeah. vibe it. <laughs> so if you book there, you know, I was a super sexy passenger. I booked the super sexy fare and it includes, <laughs> you know, it, it, it makes the low-cost airline more like a traditional airline experience. You get check baggage. It gives you priority baggage as well. You know, you get seat selection with extra legroom. You get a meal on the flight, which I could pre-order. It's actually quite nice. I had, you know, like wraps and dips and um, other little bits and pieces. You know, if you forget to pre-order though, you're down to cup of noodles is the only thing they have on the on the flight, which everyone around me seemed to get because they all forgot. So uh, yeah, pre-order your food. But yeah, you get sort of that traditional 
experience, you don't get any points or status credits or anything. They don't have their own frequent flyer program. And with Qantas, you only get rewards and benefits and things if you book the Qantas flight number, which is only available on some of their routes at the moment. And it just wasn't available to Agra uh, at the time that I booked. It's not part of their code share network yet. It's coming. Mm. So we just mm. booked a you know, a cash ticket to to get a similar experience. But uh, that was a fun airline. I would fly them again. Yeah, nice, I mean, like, nice do you, I wonder if, I do wonder if you get, like, extra perks if you manage to get the seat 6E. Um, <laughs> That's a middle seat. I'm not, I'm not going to do a middle I seat. I know. I was just like, how, how, they, how are they going to make that fun? That's interesting. <laughs> I should look into that. Maybe it's like, like a little gold seat or something. Or maybe <laughs> they've, they've just highlighted it. I don't know. Um, so... When you're there, like mm. so, you know, you mentioned before around, you know, uh, agros, you know, maybe some parts of it wasn't the most secure in the world. What's your sort of overall tips around, you know, safety and security? You mentioned Smart Traveler before. Mm. So, I mean, Smart Traveler's got a lot of good advice. And I mean, one of the key pieces of advice it has for safety is just leave your expensive things at home. And I think if you you look at what the average you know, monthly salary is in that part of India. I mean, someone's wedding ring, for instance, could be the same value as that, you know, even if it's a, you know, a, by our standards in Australia, a cheaper sort of gold band. And so I even left that at home. I didn't bring anything too flashy or expensive. I even dressed down just because I didn't want to, you know, draw attention to myself. And, you know, if you're running around, you're the foreign tourist in all the nice clothes and fancy shoes and everything, then obviously you're going to, it looks like you've got money. And so I just, just to be safe, mm. I, I just left the valuables. I only brought what I needed, which, you know, my smartphone, my passport, by law in India, you have to carry your passport. So still keep it somewhere safe. And I just, you know, it's the usual thing, like don't use the back pocket in your pants to keep the wallet, keep it in the front where yeah. you can see it and all that. And I was fine. You know, I kept yeah. my hands over my pockets when it got, when I was in really busy places, when I just couldn't avoid crowds and things, but just, I mean, keep an eye on your valuables. I had a family member that went through Delhi airport on a business trip. This, I mean, this is before COVID a couple of years ago, but still they're in the international departures area. They're buying duty free and they put their wallet down in front of them to get the credit card out to pay that, you know, they're using the machine for 30 seconds. They look down, the wallet's gone. Yeah. So yeah. you've just got to be, I felt like I was on high alert for the whole trip, which gets a bit, a little bit tiring. Um, if I were in India for a longer period of time, that might've been a bit bit frustrating it, it, i didn't have that feeling when i was back at the hotel relaxing because you go through security to get to the hotel they they're a bit more you know uh, if you're in the guest areas and things or you need a key to get in at least they know who everyone is and it's i could relax a bit there but when you're when you're out and about it just pays to be alert like a lot of places around the world yeah i was about to say there's nothing here that is, is hmm. specific to india this is more just you know gen general safety and you know safety travel advice when you're you know visiting countries of of, this, of similar you know similar ilk Hmm. That's right. Um, like, I mean, no one ever even tried to pickpocket or anything. And it was, yeah, it's just parts of India can be a little overwhelming. Like when you step off that bus in Agra and you've got 15 people shouting at you for trying to sell you stuff and trying to get you into their car. So, I mean, that's when you, you know, you, you generally book your airport transfers through the hotel uh, because then you've got a, a driver right there. They know where you are. Your name's on a sign. And as soon as everyone sees that, oh, okay, you already got a ride. You don't need you don't need to be there. They know you're not going to pay for their taxi if you've already booked a hotel car. They sort of just get out of the way and let you through, which is nice. It's like the, the you know the parting of the waters, and you get into your calm, you know, air conditioned car and drive off. So definitely, yeah. I mean, pre book. It's a pretty good tip. Tip though, booking all your transfers through the through the hotel. Do you mm. do it? Would you recommend lining anything up before you get there, or you know, for apart from getting to and from the airport with the hotel, um, do you just sort of do it? 
on site with them? Yeah, so for Taj Mahal, that was the one thing I didn't want to miss out on. And so they open the tickets online a week before your visit date because the tickets are valid for one specific time period, one specific day. And so I'd, I'd made sure that I'd pre-booked, uh, prepaid and printed that out, which was quite helpful. But I was talking to my guide and he said, yeah, actually, they don't limit the number of tickets to Taj. They just keep selling it regardless of how busy it is. So you can always get um, a ticket for that. But yeah, for everything else, like in, in Bangalore, because I was sort of there on my own doing my own thing and I just sort of slept in. I opened Google Maps and I was like, okay, what's near the hotel? Oh, okay, Bangalore Palace. I can get an Uber there. And I just sort of winged it and went and had a had a great time. But then in, in Agra, where I just felt that having a guide and a, a driver for, you know, any time I was out and about was going to be a lot more helpful. And they have a, both a concierge at the hotel and they also have a separate sort of sightseeing and tourism desk you know it's almost like a uh, a tour guide organizer they're not the guy themselves but they you know they have the drivers they have the people and they they make it happen and you sit down you you know you have a map of the city it's like okay where would you like to go and we looked at how much time and that sort of thing and they're they're really good because they can recommend you know they they knew obviously i wanted to go to taj mahal like everyone else who comes to india but uh they had a great tip they're like okay well there's actually this park across from taj mahal we can take you to that looks back to the Taj and so if oh that's that might, local knowledge that you want that you, is you, have, you need that recommendation you need that advice that is because if you're within the walls of the Taj you don't often see this in everyone's photos but there are just people everywhere it's yeah. just chaos yeah. whereas we went to this park and we were the only people there so there was I didn't have to you know worry about the wallet or anything I could just sit on the bench I had a direct view right of the Taj with the water in front amazing and I could just enjoy it for a moment in, in peace and quiet and i mean you you have to pay to go into that little park they're all they're quite entrepreneurial there they've set up a little gate you have to pay someone to go in but it's like 200 rupees so it's less than four aussie dollars to go and have that experience i think i think you've, you, you're I gonna think pay it you've i think it's pretty mandatory to uh try and find the name of that park and put it on your point hacks absolutely yeah like that's that's a, that's a good tip there um so I, what about so you mentioned uber before Mm. Um, Uber, I know Ola's very popular there, mm. um, but they only take cash with Ola. They do. I went to use it because, I mean, in, in Australia, our readers might recognize you get velocity points if you use Ola. And I was like, okay, maybe this works in India. I'll see what happens. <laughs> of course. I opened it Because uh, there's some points on the line. I'm going to do this I, know, I was like, I could earn like two velocity points on this ride. Let's stop everything and see what happens. But <laughs> I looked at it and it's... Um, yeah, the only payment option in the app, even though I've got, you know, card saved for, for Australia was just cash. Yeah. And so then I, I opened up Uber and I was like, oh, okay, I can, I can pay by credit card through Uber. Well, that's just, that just makes it easy. And you can do, you can order a tuk-tuk through Uber. If you don't have cash, you can order, I mean, I was doing Uber Premier, which is usually the, uh, you like in Australia, that's sort of the Uber black limousine service over there. Mm. It was a Suzuki Swift with leather seats sort of thing. It's a small, very small car. Um, but yep. You know, even then, like a 20-minute ride costs less than $5, including the maximum tip you can give. I always feel bad because I know, you know, fuel is very expensive at the moment and these rides are so cheap. So I'm like, all right, look, it's, it's still very cheap and it's it's less than $5, including the maximum tip you can give. So it's very, very easy to get around. But, you know, getting money, though, like, you know, cold, hard cash, I found very hard in India because I, I don't normally bother getting foreign currency before I go overseas because, you know, the exchange exchange booths and things will add add to the rate or add fees and whatever. I generally just have cards. So I just go to an ATM overseas and just withdraw it. But yeah. so many of the ATMs in India don't accept foreign cards. 
they don't tell you. It looks like it's all working. And then it gets to the end. It's like, oh, there was an error. So, so and how did you handle your money in general? Mm, like so, how, I, how, so how did you, you find the cash? It was really hard because as soon as I landed in, in Bangalore, I was like, okay, I'll just go past the ATM at the airport. No, it doesn't work. All right, I'll find one near the hotel. No, it doesn't work. Went to another so I, one. I, no, I would have been caught, I been caught yeah. out by this. Like, absolutely, yeah. I would have been caught out by this. Yeah, and so I got really frustrated and I even went to the concierge because you know, I was staying at the Conrad in Bangalore, so it's a nice hotel. The staff know what they're doing. And I went, I'm like, is there anywhere I can withdraw cash over the counter as a cash advance? Can you point me to a different ATM? Um, they couldn't do cash at the hotel and they pointed me to another ATM that again, didn't accept foreign cards. And I mean, I tried one. I've got one of everything, you know what I mean? Oh, All yeah, the different you, card networks. I think you got, three of, you got three of everything. Three of everything, yeah. yeah. But um, I try and I, I'd almost given up and I was like, well, how the heck do I, you know, I mean, I can get around here in Bangalore fine without cash, but I mean, what am I going to do in Agra? I need cash to get into some of these tourist monuments and things that I haven't pre-booked tickets for. And I was sort of going to contemplate, well, do I try and get a friend to send like Western Union or something to India and just pick it up that way or like do it online myself or something to just do a bank transfer. But I happened to be in an Uber back from my sightseeing and we drove past a DBS bank. Oh, Singapore DBS. Exactly. I recognize I'm like, okay, that's an international bank. What's the bet their ATM knows how to accept a card that's from outside of India. Mm. And I I went in and they sort of were shooing me out because you went in, I went into the branch and apparently you're not allowed to unless you're a, a, a client. But I'm like, you have an ATM and it's just hidden in this little cupboard, like a washroom or something. You just open it up. I'm like, oh, okay, there we go. And it's actually a visa only ATM. So if you've got a MasterCard, like the, I think the Citibank one that uh, has no foreign transaction fees, which is now a MasterCard, doesn't work. So I, I finally, look, I tried a visa and in the end, it 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 finally gave me my cash. I did a little dance because I'd been trying for hours to get money and I was getting quite annoyed mm. at that point. Um, and so I finally got some, some banknotes and things, which as I would discover, I would need to get out of the airport in Agra when I landed because yeah, you have to get on that that bus and you have to pay cash for that and there's just a lot in india that you can't pay credit card for especially once you get out of the really big really big cities and so i think next time i know where that atm is now and so if i'm back in bengaloo i will (laughs) i feel like you shouldn't i feel like the tip is to not rely on the that's Mm. the one atm that chris exactly that's that's not the tip you know (laughs) the tip is get the cash before you go or get get enough cash yeah but if I'm doing if the exact same trip again, I'm like, okay, yeah, it's on this street in this door, it, but yeah. <laughs> get, make sure you have a visa and look for a, D, a DBS ATM. That's the one. Um, or just, you know, get some cash before you go. Yeah, that would be the easy option. Pro I'll, tip. I'll do that next time, I think. Yeah. Especially if you're going to a new city that you haven't been to before because you're not going to know where the ATMs are, what they do. And it's just, I mean, you can still use credit cards for all the big stuff, the hotels, the flights, the, the usual things. But obviously, you need cash for tips and for... Some yeah, of the cheaper to your point, items. you know, if you mm. want to get the real, you know, experience, mm. you know, more of a, a proper experience of India, then yeah, you'd absolutely need the cash. Mm. Um, so what, what's, what's, what's their approach to, you know, these days there's not a lot going around, but COVID restrictions, just, you know, mm. getting in in general, is there anything to, to keep an eye on there? Yeah, so there's an online form you have to fill out. And I didn't even realize that I had to do it. But fortunately, Qantas sends a text with all the travel information a few days before. It's like, oh, to check in for your flight to India, just make sure you've submitted this this form, which is through the Delhi airport website, even if you're not flying through Delhi. And it's basically, you just put a declaration in, you know, have you been vaccinated, which for them, for COVID, which is two doses. So that's they're not looking at boosters. And you put in your Australian international vaccination certificate through the upload and they verify it that way or as an alternative you can get a covid test just before you fly 
in the the day or two and bring the results of that test. But I think that's if you're not vaccinated. And but yeah. I think if you land, then you're subject to additional testing and it gets a bit messy. So you you can go if you haven't had the double jab, but you just need yeah two doses of any of the vaccines that we have in Australia are all recognised over there. And I mean. Once you are there, and even on the flight, actually, the masks are mandatory on flights to, from, and within India. So as to how much that gets enforced depends on the airline. So Qantas is usually very good. Air mm-hmm. India is quite good. They even make an announcement that if you're arguing with them about it, you'll be treated like a hostile passenger and that sort of thing. And that's part of their default welcome to welcome to the flight. It's not said in a bad of, way, I but it's just... I kind of appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, that's, I, <laughs> like, you know... I, you know, I, I just I, I agree with the energy more than anything mm. else. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I found Indigo, they they would give you a mask at the boarding gate if you weren't wearing one when you were scanning your boarding pass to get on. Yeah. But other than that, no one seemed to care on the flight. There were people just sitting there the whole flight not wearing one. In fact, someone even packed a recorder like what you'd get in primary school to learn music and decided at 40,000 feet that right then in the plane cabin was the time to practice their recorder. Oh, I mean, talk about a hostile passenger. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that right there is, uh, is yeah. right up there. And the crew did not say anything. And so, I mean, really? I, I packed my noise-canceling headphones. And so that was, and I have to say, look, props to them for trying to learn the instrument. That's always nice, but they were not very good. And there's, I mean, of, all places, of all places to practice, and I mean, noise-canceling headphones are great, yeah. but... But a but a recorder pierces the soul. Like yeah. like there's like, no noise cancelling drivers that are going to stop that. It is you got to feel that in it your was, core. It was painful when I took the headphones off for a second. I tell you what, but yeah, they were just like they didn't even care about that. So that depends on the airline that you're on, I think, as yeah. to what the the rules are. But I mean, you didn't have to wear a mask. I found in Agra a lot of people were, and I mean, I if you go inside the Taj Mahal in the the mausoleum, you're really crammed in among a lot of people. And to be honest, I wanted to get home easily i didn't want to have issues so i just put my mask on when i went in to you know crush among all the the people which is also where they tell you to watch your wallets and things um, yeah. sandwiched what, in among everyone but, but what, what about mm. some other like you know non-covid related stuff you know i know mm. ma- malaria is a bit of a risk over there um mm. i know they've got their eyes on um on yellow fever mm. um any any tips on that yeah so i mean because of the nature of this trip i went to a, a travel doctor rather than a regular GP just that has that extra knowledge and they they happen to be Indian as well which actually really quite helped because they knew the country um you know they had a fantastic knowledge and we looked at a map we looked at exactly where I was going what I was doing what times of day I'd be out and about and they said to me look your malaria risk on this itinerary is incredibly low but here is a very very strong insect repellent that we recommend you put on when you're outside and so I just sort of lathered that up um and and i was absolutely fine and it, at least it gave me confidence i could still sit out in the garden there are insects and things buzzing around and i'm like well i've got you know um you know they're not really going to bite me i've got this on and there are other i mean if you look at i mean smart travel has a long list of concerns of different diseases and things that they're, they're worried about so if you're coming from a yellow fever risk country or if you've previously been to a yellow fever risk country which is a lot of south america um you're generally required to show your proof of vaccine for yellow fever but I, I didn't find them looking through my passport at, you know, stamps and things of where I've been. They were just like, oh, you're from Australia. They just didn't even look. I had it, you know, I've been there and that sort of thing. And I had that paperwork if they needed it, but no one, no one really um, cared. And I think most of the other vaccines are just recommended and it depends on, again, where you're going and what you're doing. And so a lot of people might've had the basic ones. If you've done other, you know, travel overseas, you know, the typhoid, the hepatitis, uh, some of them recommend Japanese encephalitis for parts of India and things. So the 
that was what took a lot of my planning was just looking at what was recommended for the trip, what was safe. And, you know, I had a very sore arm one day, I tell you what, but it, it was all worth it in the end. But I, I would recommend uh, for a trip like India, just going to the, the travel doctor, because they can also give you medicines and things for an upset stomach if you happen to eat some bad food and, and which fortunately did not happen to me. I had a, a great trip, but it was, you know, you want to be prepared for somewhere like this. Yeah. Um, and bottled water for most Bo of the trip. Yes. Bottled water for all of the trip. Uh, and no ice is the, is the rule and golden for, rule. Yeah. And I just, I, I just didn't want any troubles. And as I said, I was flying nearly every day I was there and I had a really tight itinerary and things were booked on points. And so I knew that if I had to change anything, it just wouldn't really be easily changeable. So I just didn't want to get sick, period. So for for the week that I was there, I just switched to vegetarian because I figured that at least most of this food doesn't have to be refrigerated at specific temperatures and handled in certain ways to avoid you getting sick. And it was it was it was nice actually trying all different food. But I tell you what, when I landed in in Sydney and it's a morning arrival, uh, you know, lunch that day, chicken Caesar salad. It had the chicken I couldn't eat in India. It had lettuce that you know you don't want to be washed in the water and and everything else it was glorious but yeah i mean that's if and if you are vegetarian as as your default anyway i mean india is is a great destination for that because every menu has mm. veg and non-veg and every dish that's vegetarian has a little green circle next to it it must be their national greed symbol for doing it because everywhere i went had the same little icon so if you just look for the little green circle you'll be fine so we've gone through all the the planning tips i can mm. i can think of would you recommend it? It sounds like an amazing trip outside all this planning. Once you got that done, it sounds yeah. like, you know, it's a, a, a very unique experience. I mean, mm. the seeing the, the Taj Mahal must have been pretty spectacular. Who, who would who would you who would you recommend this this type of trip for? I mean, it doesn't sound like something that, you know, if it's your first your very first mm. time flying, um, that's that's probably the best uh, uh, trip to do. But, you know, you could just dive in head first. <laughs> That, that's it. So, I mean, places, I mean, yeah, if it is your first trip, I mean, yeah, like Singapore, New Zealand, Fiji, Numea, we looked at recently, they're all beautiful destinations and they're all very easy to travel to from a planning perspective. So I think for me, I've, I've you know, I've done a lot of international travel before and I found that India took the most pre-travel planning to get there. So I, I would say that it's probably a destination that you'd go to if you've experienced international travel before, you've jumped through some of the hoops you you sort of know the drill and you know what to look out for when you're just out and about in public in general because it's you know you just you need to be prepared i mean we're not trying to scare anyone because it was an amazing trip it was an amazing destination and having finally been there now i would go back especially now that i've got you know a visa that allows me to go back as well and that's um, so when you do apply as well you know ask for a multi-entry for me it didn't cost any more than a single entry and, and why not? I, I have the option now. I've been to the doctor. I've got my paperwork. I can literally get on a plane to India again tomorrow if I want. And now that all that planning's done, it's done. So if, you know, but if you're, if you want a bit of adventure, if you want something that's not just your typical, you know, go, you know, just stay in a, in a nice resort type of holiday or just, you know, you, you want something a bit more out there, a bit more of a, a cultural experience and, I mean, the Taj Mahal is just majestic. It, even though it was storming on the day I was there and we had to leg it out at the end to avoid getting rained on, it's just a beautiful building. And we, I spent a couple of hours just looking at it. it there are eight sides to the building. You're, it doesn't matter where you sort of stand. Everything is symmetrical. And if you look from a, a real distance, there's a mosque on one side. And just to make it look symmetrical, they built a mirror of it on the other side. They don't use it because it doesn't face Mecca, but it's it's just so that it all looks pretty and if you happen to be there at 
sunrise, you might catch the Taj Mahal looking pink instead of white. And if you happen to be there at sunset on a day that's not stormy, you'll find it a bit more orangey red. Uh, so that gives me a reason to go back because the the clouds got in the way of that one on, on my trip. So I had sort of a bit of a vibrant sky, but a white Taj. So I'll, I'll definitely have to go back and um, see it in a different color. No, definitely. Well, we've got, we'll, you'll have all the, uh, the, the points advice. So, you know, what, what mm. routes you can take, the points cost, some, uh, some, recommendations there up on up on point hacks um mm. about probably about the same time this podcast goes live mm. um chris it's been great to have you back for another episode of david and chris's points <laughs> of view <laughs> thanks dave i'm looking forward to the next one i can't wait talk to you soon chris cheers that's it for today's episode of points of view the point hacks podcast remember to visit pointhacks.com.au for more frequent flyer deals guides and tips i'm david walsh and don't forget to subscribe